This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a archery enthusiast. I mean, he loves to chase big game animals with archery equipment. And I'm really excited about this because it's something that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And that is chase after elk, especially with a bow, something about them bugling and you have to get close range and you're hearing them thrashing brush and you have to call them and communicate. And so I'm really excited to hear what he has to say, how he got into this and some of the adventures and hunts that he's been on. So let's jump into this episode with Ryan. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is a guy named Ryan Romero. Now, Ryan is from Colorado, not actually that far from where my wife and I used to live. And he's a big game hunter, a hunter of really all things, but uh, big game with his bow is kind of his number one passion. And so I'm pretty pumped to talk to him. We're going to talk about anything and everything on this podcast from successes, what's been happening this season, what he feels like doing in future seasons, as well as talking about things like the point system, because that's a big deal. I mean, everybody has to really kind of play by the rules with the point system and there's been a lot of unrest with it, I feel like, recently. And as a non-resident or somebody who comes from a state where everything's over the counter, you just go to Walmart, buy your tags, you get like five deer tags, two turkey tags. You know, sometimes we don't think about that when we're looking at going out and doing a Western hunt. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. And it really can affect how you hunt, uh, where you hunt, the quality of game that you hunt. And so... We're going to dive into that pretty hard. But first off, Ryan, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've actually been waiting for this opportunity ever since I saw the opportunity come up. I saw that you could get on here. I'd like, I, I'd like talking about my passion and, and uh, other people, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't you start out by sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from, like how you how you got into hunting, whether it's you grew up with it, you got introduced to hunting by someone later in life. Um, why don't you share that? And then we'll we'll start diving into uh, stories and tips and tricks and uh, get into this whole point discussion. Yeah, so I actually I'm actually from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, I moved here when I was six. Uh, to Colorado, 
and I actually just grew up around hunting. Uh, I started when I was about, I don't know, five or six. I'd go pheasant hunting with my dad. He had about five or six different ranches out in Wyoming. And I'd go with him and his brothers and my grandpas and, and other uncles, my mom's uh, brother. And then we would uh, go out pheasant hunting, shoot rabbits, pheasants. And then uh, I just started getting into, um, obviously, when I was 12, I could start um, big game hunting. And then around, I would say, like, college, early college, I got really into bow hunting. My uncle got me into it. And then from there on, that's where my passion for bow hunting is really taken off. It's, you know, and now it's every year I pretty much take off the month of September and uh, spend it in the woods and trying to stick it out with my bow, really. I mean, it's it's a tough thing to do with over-the-counter tags here in Colorado, so it takes some time and miles. And yeah. So. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I talk about this all the time and how I want I want to get into the archery elk hunts, but looking at the success that we've had, and we've had great success at elk camp with rifles, but seeing how many times I've been that close to a bull, like it, close enough to shoot it with a bow, I, well, I can count it on one finger while, while rifle hunting. And you know, sometimes you have to get into the right spot, but we, we just don't come up on them. And I'm sure this strategy is going to change. And obviously you've got the rut working to your advantage but also you also have to compete with all these other guys that are calling where we go the the season that we hunt we hardly ever hear anybody calling you know because it's late this year though i talked to a guy in wisconsin who goes out to colorado every year and hunts and he's like dude the bulls just shut up like they would bugle at night and that was it uh he went out for all of archery season and he's like i hardly heard any bugles during the day and then come to find out second rifle season we were hearing bugles. So I don't know, I don't know what shifted if it was, you know, because of a dry year or or what caused um, you know, their daytime rutting activity to shift like that, but I thought that was kind of interesting. But I think I think that once I get into archery hunting for elk, I'll never go back. I mean, it it just seems like that thing that hooks you so hard the first time you're out there. Yeah, and that's like my uncle always told me and my buddy. Um, he, he was always like, once you do this, you'll never go back. Rifle hunting elk will never be the same. And the first time we got into it, um, we didn't know what we were doing. We were poor college kids. We didn't have range finders. We have nothing. I had a bow that my dad had gotten from my uncle, and he passed it down to me. And we went out, and we just started. And we it had a lot of... It was like trial and error, obviously. We had a lot of failure at that point. Um, but once we got into the elk, like you said, once you get close to elk, and the thing about archery elk hunting is that a lot of it, like, don't get me wrong, I love being successful, but just being in the elk and seeing what they do in the wild and how they run and what they do is is amazing to me. Just watching them do their everyday thing, what they do, what they're there to do and how they live it's just crazy to me but to your point yes once you do archery hunt elk and you get hooked you have that first encounter when you have a bull coming in screaming and you have cows all around you it's rifle hunting elk was never the same for me never has been it's still fun don't get me wrong i mean i love hunting in general um 
and I'll always, you know, try to obviously get a rifle tag or whatnot, but archery hunting elk, there's nothing like it. Um, but it's it, like, it is, it's hard. Like this year it was quiet. You know, that's the thing about an over the counter tag that, um, that kind of sucks is that you, you get a lot of pressure. So the elk gets smart. The elk have gotten smarter and smarter and smarter, which people don't really realize. And the thing about it is, is that they get smarter. And then once you hear, they hear bugles that aren't what they can relate to or who they, they, I mean, they know the elk that are around, they know their bugles, they start shutting down. And it is true. Like you get, the thing about our training that is frustrating is you get about an hour in the morning and an hour at night you know, yeah. before, before evening hunt. I mean, that's realistic. I mean, you may get like a day we've been taking a nap in the middle of the day where you get, you know, a bugle at noon and you go chase it, but it's so, um, it's rewarding, but it's also a tough hunt all the, all the time. I feel like it's always like you're pushing in that first hour to two hours in the morning, you're pushing to try to get on these elk. And then they shut up at like nine or 10 in the morning. And then you're, you know, sitting there in 90 degree weather trying to figure out your plan for the evening. Right. Because you don't want to push these elk with the wind being wrong or something during the day. Cause they're obviously bedded. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like, with- like, I feel like with archery hunting, there's different levels of success. Obviously, like the ultimate success is sticking an elk with an arrow. But yeah, when you're out there, like finding the elk, that's like number one. You know, you have to you have to get to the elk. You have to get where they are. You have to locate them. But then I was talking to a guy on a recent podcast and he was like, dude, just just to knock an arrow, like to be that close to where you're knocking an arrow and preparing for a shot that almost feels like a success. And then obviously oh, yeah. if you can get drawn back and I can't even imagine how heartbreaking it is to get drawn back on an elk and then not end up getting a shot. Cause in that moment you're like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Nothing's going to go wrong. And whatever it is, you know, they win you or, or something else disturbs them and they take off. That would be, that would be devastating. I feel like it'd be a moment that you relive all the time, but th- there's nothing that's going to compare to watching that arrow fly and hit its mark and i dude i get really excited when i shoot something i don't really get buck fever as far as like before the shot i don't get like the shakes a whole lot i'm definitely like my heart's pounding but i can i can stay calm in the moment as soon as i pull the trigger or let an arrow fly on anything i'm just a wreck and so <laughs> I'm going to have like, I'm going to have to have that bow tied to me because if I shoot an elk with a bow, I'm just, I don't even know what my body's going to do. I'm going to freak out. Um, and so that's pretty sweet. Like, I feel like, I feel like sending an arrow through a bull would be one of the ultimate moments in a hunter's life. Yeah, there, there's no greater feeling, honestly. I mean, it's, um, you, you obviously shoot uh, nonstop during the summer and, you know, year round. I mean, I'll shoot sometimes, you know, now obviously in the off season and then into the summer, you know, every day shooting arrows, trying to do at least 10, maybe 20 arrows a day. Um, but you still like be that being said, and I've killed a, a lot of elk with my bow over the years and 
I still have to talk myself through like a three-step process when these elk are coming in. You have to tell yourself, breathe, just to slow it down because you get so amped because you have so much going on. Uh, these elk are moving in. You have the cows, obviously, especially if you have a big herd, you have these cows, you're trying to, you know, you got someone behind you calling. You're trying to figure out when you need to call, make sure the wind's right. You're always checking the wind always. And obviously in any hunting you are, but I mean like more so with the folks, you're trying to get, you know, close. And um, so it's, it's insane. It's, you have to literally tell yourself to slow down and then, and then, Obviously, like like you said, shooting something with a rifle is awesome, and you still get that same high. But it's like life seems like it slows me during those times where the elk are coming in, and they're you know you see they're coming. You're like, all right, I see the antlers. You got to think about all right. I range that tree, that tree. You're trying to keep all these things in order in your head before it, it gets close, and then obviously making an ethical shot because. Um, it's not a right, you know, you're not going to get the shot from the rifles. You're always trying to make a shot that's going to be quick and lethal, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of those things going into play as a Midwest hunter, you know, a lot of guys will be up in a tree and they're, they're just sitting there. They've got all their ranges picked out. If it's the same tree that they always sit in, say they've got a hang on stand or a ladder stand or a box blind you know, they know every patch of grass and every uh, fence row, all of their ranges. But then when you throw that into the equation, I mean, a lot of times when you're in elk, when I, when I elk hunt, it's very rare that I see one elk and I shoot it. You know, it's normally there's 30 to 150 sets of eyes and ears and noses that you have to compete with. And so to get that accurate range on something, you know, within whatever you're effective ranges like 70 yards 80 yards or 40 yards now you have to be very cognizant of every single movement every single sound that's made trying to get a good range on the animal um but then again with an elk your your room for error i feel like is a little bit greater as far as the kill zone goes because the vitals on an elk are effectively the same size as the whole torso of a deer and so yeah, you've got that play in there, but in that country, like you don't want to, you don't want to have a half miles, uh, track job on an elk because they can get into some nasty stuff and they can cover the ground that we have a really hard time with. They can do it in a matter of minutes. Exactly. It's, and then we use, single pen sites so that kind of makes it another tricky situation i switched over maybe like five years ago and so like what i do is try to get my bow dialed in i have it dialed in it i always have my 30 pin and i can shoot to 50 down to 20 you know and then i obviously um it, it made it a little easier for me a lot of guys shoot maybe three four five pins but my thing was when i was getting into that zone it was like getting to too much to where I was like, all right, what pin do I use and all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of knowing your equipment. When people say you need to shoot, you do need to shoot. And I never really realized that. Honestly, I didn't take it serious until maybe the last seven, eight years of bow hunting. Like when I was younger, we'd go out and kill up with our bows and we'd get it done. It would be hard, but like I wouldn't really shoot as much as I should have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because 
a for sure shot. Obviously, like you said, like you have a bigger zone for an elk. But the thing is, is that when you you have that zone, but you still need to hit a really good shot only because yeah. elk are probably some of the toughest animals I've ever seen in my life. Like I've shot, I've shot elk with rifles several times and they still are on trying to, you know, go. I mean, the will for them to live, even deer, any of them, but elk are tough and they, you know, getting that one shot that where you can see them visually go down or hear them crash in those trees is like the best feeling in the world. Because then, you know, like you said, you're not tracking these elk in this thick, Cause where they live, you know, where elk live, I mean, it's thick and it's nasty. And it's like some of these areas as you get in, it's not easy to track blood. And sometimes if you don't get a pass through on the other side with an arrow, you're not getting a lot of blood on that other side. So they're bleeding internally, but elk can run, you know, mile, two miles, maybe who knows, you don't yep. know, you know what I mean? So that's the big thing. Um, I do agree with you on the fact that like, obviously, yeah, it's a bigger kill zone for sure. But knowing your equipment is probably, you can't stress that enough. I mean, with a rifle, you could go shoot a couple times and go out and be fine. But with a bow, it's just like, it's another level. And I think that's where some guys um, come in and maybe if they don't hunt every year or they're just, you know, drawing a tag that they've been trying to draw for a lot of years and they come out here and try to hunt specifically, I feel like elk with a bow. I feel like I've seen a lot of guys from out of state. They mess, you know, don't know their equipment. They miss or shoot and wound an animal or, you know, all these things come into play, which is huge. Um, It's just a huge thing when it comes to bow hunting, you got to know your equipment in and out and know how you're shooting. Yeah. And one thing that you said about them being like the thick, nasty country, it, it stinks because it seems like there's elk, you know, in a lot of different terrains out there and the thickness will play to your advantage when it comes to stalking and like getting into an animal. Like you just have more cover. Whereas if you're hunting more open ground, like sagebrush country, y- you can't move as much without being spotted, but you could potentially have a better shot opportunity when they come through. You know, you might not have as many obstacles in their way, in your way, but the challenge of even getting close at that point is so great. If you're hunting the timber, you know, you might be able to get in more of a position, have more cover where they're not going to spot you. But now you do have to worry about those shot windows. And I hear stories of guys who get into 40, 50 yards on elk and they just never get a shot. And that to me, I'm like, oh man, I can't imagine like just being in that position to to be that close to an elk and they're bugling in. I mean, it's just making the hair on the back of your neck stand up. But then for it to end up being, hey, I'm drawn back and the elk just never stepped into a window. It never gave me an opportunity. That's it's crazy to me to think that people are out there doing that type of stuff every year because my farthest shot or my closest shot on an elk was a follow-up shot at a hundred yards. My initial shot was 330 yards. And so thinking that I effectively have to cut that down by 80, 90% blows my mind. And I, I've got to experience it at some point in my life. And I think I will. I mean, I'm hoping to go up to Wyoming this next year and, and get an archery tag and see what I can make happen. But um, one thing that we were talking about a little bit before the show 
started was the point system. And obviously yeah. when you go out to these Western states, there are over the counter tags. There's, there's plenty of over the counter tags, but the, the caliber of bulls that you're going after in those areas isn't nearly as much as if, you know, you put in for a unit that takes at least four points and you might not draw it until you have 18 points. Uh, you, you should theoretically have more opportunity at bigger bulls in those spots. What uh, what type of units are you going for? Are you hunting a lot of the over-the-counter stuff, or are you putting in for points? I'm actually hunting a lot of the over-the-counter stuff. I've never been a point guy, so my I really didn't get introduced to points and knowing – like there's a lot of loopholes that I've really figured out, and my father-in-law is really into it, and he has a lot of points built up, and – over the years, like where we've actually hunted. So I, what I do is we hunt like up like Northwestern corner of the state and it's like a one or two point draw depending. And we always try to get a tag together or, you know, try to draw as a group or whatever. And, um, but most of the time we're over the counter and we have some spots, you know, obviously over the counter that we've, I've, we've been in elk a lot. I mean, or, or kill a lot of elk there, but the thing is, is that it's just become, overpopulated and you know because a lot of these guys aren't drawing these tags with all these points that they have so they'll just take the over the counter tag which we don't have a cap on here so yeah. that's a huge a huge deal because and that's my thing is is like I don't mind obviously out of state people coming here I what I do mind is that we don't have a cap on anything. And so, like I said, like it almost gets dangerous, right? Especially during rifle season, I've been first season rifle places and it's like, this, this probably isn't even safe. So like, it's, it's a hard situation. Cause it's like, you know, the revenue coming in the States good. They, they want to keep that coming in, but at the same time you got to like, it, it just comes down to numbers. I feel like with like, yeah, what's being killed and, and, and like, I just, like the quality of bulls and everything. I mean, killing a huge, a big bull in on an over the counter tag is very doable, but your chances are very slim. I've had, I mean, I, like I've said, I've been hunting, you know, a lot of years and I've only had a handful of times where I could kill a, you know, three thirty plus bull. And, you know, if you're hunting these areas with all these points, this is, you know, you're going to get, your chances are greater for sure. You're going to be seeing the quality of bulls that you want to be seeing. I mean, like the States like Utah, Utah spike only, you know, spike only areas, which then in turns all those areas that get drawn, people get drawn, they're killing, they get the any tag, they're killing big bulls, you know? So I really don't know what the answer is because a lot of States do a lot of different things. So it's like, I feel like they need to change something. And if that's just a cap, I feel like a cap is good because then it keeps people aware of when seasons are right. They, they yeah. are not just showing up like a, a week before, Oh, we're going to go out in Colorado and they can grab a tag. I don't think that should be an option anymore. I think like if you're going to come hunt here, you need to have, you need to know this when, you know, you can draw the over the counter tag. And if you miss that window or if that area is over the counter tag is gone, it's gone. That's how yeah. Idaho does it, you know, and I feel like that's a fair way to do it, to keep quality going up and the hunt would just be better all around for everybody. Yeah. And I know in the Midwest, like the quality deer management association, you know, they're trying to get people on board with the idea of shooting 
uh, higher age class deer, you know, three and a half year old deer, four and a half year old deer or older. And with elk, I, I see both sides of it where one, I mean, we all want to be hunting bigger bulls. We really do. If you ask anybody, of course, there's the guys who say, oh, you can't eat the antlers. But I, I, to that would say, okay, so if you had a spike and a mature bull, a mature six by six, and they're standing side by side, what if their body's the same size? Which one are you going to shoot? They're all going to say the six by six. And so it's like at, at some level, everybody wants to be shooting bigger animals and when you come in from out of state and you're paying $700 for a a tag as a non-resident, it's very difficult to swallow that tag, you know, to go home with it in your pocket. And so that's where I feel like you get a lot of guys who go out well-intentioned and they're like, man, I really want to shoot a big bull. But by the end of the week, they're shooting anything that walks in front of them. And so it does definitely uh, you know, those bulls aren't going to be there next year to be two-year-old bulls, three-year-old bulls, four-year-old bulls. And so it there's there's a, a rippling effect through that. And it's like you do that enough years and you're not going to have many mature bulls at all. And the few that there are out there, they're going to get killed by the guys who really know what they're doing. You know, and mm-hmm. the odds of somebody just randomly coming in, not knowing how to elk hunt and shooting a monster bull is pretty slim, but we could get to the point where it's not that uncommon. If, if we, I think one of the best things that they can do, and they have done it in some places is the antler restrictions, you know, to do, to do an antler restriction so that people have to shoot a bull that's got three points on one side or four points or five points or whatever they decide to make that I feel like is a great kind of in between where everybody can win you know you're letting the young bulls get to a mature spot where they're breeding where they're reproducing and uh we're just going to be seeing more and more of them you're still going to see those spikes you're going to see those raghorns but if you can't shoot them until they have four on one side the caliber and the quality of animal that we're going to be chasing is just going to be better for everyone and i think they're going to be more happy with it not to mention you're going to have more competition between the animals. You know, if you have a lot of, a lot of big bulls, they're going to be bugling. They're going to be running harder. They're going to be fighting. They're going to be more prone to coming into calls. Um, whereas if all of these young bulls are getting shot and there's only like one or two big mature bulls that have to fight for breeding rights, it's, it's like, they just don't feel like they're, they're going after or that they have to try hard. I guess to breed, yeah. they just know yeah. they're the, the, the alpha out there. And, um, it, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe, you know, if there's only one big mature bull and then they hear somebody, some hunter coming in and bugling, they're going to be like, Oh man, I actually have competition. I got to go figure out what this is. But in my mind, it just makes more sense to have bigger mature bulls that present more opportunity for hunters, both in state and non-residents. I agree. I I think right now the restriction is three. I think it's a, it has to be three points or is it four points or better? I think brow times six inches or better. Yeah, I think uh, it changes depending on the unit you hunt, but a lot of units go by the three points on one side or yeah, six so inch brow three, tines. 
yeah. So I think the only areas, a lot of areas that don't have that, uh, the ones that you can kill spikes in are like all the front range areas. So you're looking at like all the stuff close to Denver. And I think like stuff going towards like Salida and stuff like that. Like I've had buddies who have hunted by like Deckers and stuff and they've been able to have spikes in there. But I think like the thing about the three points are better is the fact that I, I almost think that it would be like, like I said, like Utah, I feel like they have, they're onto something because if you're going to kill a three point bull, with five inch brown ties, you might as well kill a spike in my, in my, in my, you know, thought. Right. Yeah. So I think like my thing would be like do spike only areas in some of these areas. And then like during archery, let it be a, any bull area. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That will give you quality bulls too, because like the problem is, is it's definitely not during archery when you're killing off all these elk. It, Cause archery is like, uh, obviously hard to kill in but it's these rifle seasons like when i was up this year um rifle hunting it was like i never i really never seen anything like it i mean i i usually hike back in a, a ways and this was a different kind of hunt it was more of a management hunt and wow i was like the elk that got killed in these areas i was like well, no wonder why there's no mature bulls right because yeah. people are just basically mowing them down they get huge herds and there's mo- and it's like if you had a restriction it, honestly if i i'd rather have people killing spikes than three point four points that and let them get to that six either to kill a spike or a six point or better that's the way i look at it that whole in between there is where you get i mean i mean people are just killing them way too early they're you're killing them at like two, three years old. You know what I mean? And it's just, it it, it just makes the quality just not where it needs to be, obviously. And I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever do any of that kind of stuff or how they're going to restrict it. I think um, they're talking about, obviously, uh, I think putting caps on licenses and stuff, which um, I think is a fair thing to do. Yeah. But because uh, I mean, like me, like I'm trying to draw Wyoming and I would love to white, go back and hunt Wyoming every year. But honestly, to draw a general tag, I'm going to burn five points to draw a general ta- a general tag, not even a specific area. I'm going to draw a general tag. With five points, I mean, that's crazy to me, like that means realistically, if my health stays at the way it does, I literally will probably hunt Wyoming five more times in my lifetime, which yeah. is crazy to me. On yeah, a general tag. Man. It's like, I'm not even getting any specific, any great tag. I'm, I'm getting a general tag. But when you go to Wyoming or you go to these states that do this, the quality of hunting and, and your opportunities are a lot greater. That's why you want to do it, right? That's why you're trying to draw Wyoming or, you know, you try to draw New Mexico or anywhere that you you have some restriction because if you draw that tag and you know you put in your, that what how you hunt, you know, for like an over-the-counter tag or any of these rifle tags around here, you know you're going to kill a nice, nice bull probably. I mean, your chances yeah. are a lot greater. Well, and I feel like the guys that are spending the time putting all this time and money into preference points and getting these tags where they've got bigger caliber bulls like that's that's what they're going there for you know i can't imagine there's many people who are like man i've been putting in for five years i'm gonna burn all my points and 
I'm going to go and hunt and shoot a spike opening day. They're, they're probably exactly, you know, more serious about it. And I totally agree. The, the success rate for a bull with a bow of any size in Colorado, I, I believe is around 3%. And it's very, very low. And I have a buddy who actually is more of a trophy hunter. Like he's more, he's been the guy like, Oh, you, you go, go, go. I'm like, good luck, dude. He's, you know, I mean, elk he's killed in the last eight years. One, one elk in eight years because he wants to trophy hunt with a bow. And I'm like on over the counter tag. I say, good luck, man. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, but I, had- I mean, I see that. I see that. But I also think, okay, you're going out and you want to shoot a big bull with a bow and you're spending eight years chasing after these elk. And maybe you, you connect with one of these monster six by sixes, a 330 plus inch bull in eight years. Well, if you look at how long it takes you to actually draw a trophy unit, you're going to be eight years deep into it at least anyways, in order to go and have that same success. And so it's like, man, if you can at least be hunting, even if you're not, even if you're not coming home with anything, you get to be out there hunting and learning and honing in your skills. And, and at any point you could potentially see something or, or make a play on something, or you could be sitting on the couch hoping one day to draw a tag and then you go out there yeah, and it's true. still not a guaranteed success. And so for me, I'm like, it doesn't matter where I'm hunting. If I can be out hunting, it beats sitting on the couch. Even if it means that, you know, eight years from now I could be in an amazing unit. Well, guess what? I bet you I'm going to see an elk of a high caliber at some point if I'm hunting for eight years straight and learning an area. And that's what I've noticed yeah. this year. I mean, this year, we put in the work. We had a ton of guys come out, and everybody wants to shoot a big bull. There's a lot of guys who are, who are out there, and they're just like, dude, if it's legal, I'm going to shoot it. And most of those people are first-timers. You know, there's not a ton of the guys that we hunt with that are just like, you know, they've been doing it for 15 years, and they're like, oh, I'm going to shoot anything that walks. Um, but we walked away with seven bulls this year, and the smallest one was a 5 by 5 And yeah. it's it's pretty amazing once you just put in that work and you get to know the area. And the only reason that we're able to do that, that we're able each year to, you know, shoot five plus bulls is because of the work and the scouting and the time in the field year after year for a decade and a half. Some of these guys have been in this one unit hunting this one area and we just understand the movement and where those big mature bulls like to hide out. And so, yeah, you know, it, it can be done from the trail. We ran into more hunting pressure this year than we ever have. It's been, it was insane just pulling into camp. Like we park way down this dirt road, like 45 minutes down this dirt road, trying to pull all of our stuff in there, get a big base camp set up. And then from there, we'll go in and spike camp. Different groups will spike camp throughout the week, even farther back in. And just pulling in on that dirt road, there were so many people set up in campers and wall tents that we had never seen before. And so I'm like, okay, sweet. We've got a lot more competition. We'll come to find out 95% of them are just hunting from the two track. They're just riding around hoping to see something and then they can make a play on it from there where I don't feel like there's a ton of success that happens in that unit when they hunt that way. Most of the success I find happens when you get in and like get off the trail you get away from all the commotion 
and you go to where the elk are instead of hoping that you see them off the trail. And we've had success. In fact, this year we did have success from not far from the trail at all. But like my my bull ended up being uh, the biggest bull at camp this year, and I shot it four miles from the four-wheeler trail. And that four-wheeler trail was 45 minutes to an hour ride from our base camp which was as far back on this road as you could get with uh, an actual on-highway vehicle. And yeah. and so it's like we had to go back in there for them. But, you know, that's where we were hearing bugles and seeing big groups of cows. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think all of that hunting pressure, I mean, it does get discouraging when you see, but if you're willing to put in the work and do whatever it takes to get on a bull, you know, at the end of the day, that's not going to matter nearly as much uh but we also saw a lot more pressure in the backcountry this year i don't know what it was about this year it was like this area blew up i mean there were three to five times as many hunters as we've ever seen we never run into people in the backcountry near spike camp and luckily i had i had shot my bull opening day and so the next day we went to pack in or to pack out the rest of the meat and when we got back there there were elk right up on the hillside above where my bull was laying and um we had gosh i had five people with me that all had tags still and so we're like man we might be able to make a play on some of these elk and we look over and here's two first-time hunters just walking around on the ridge above us the elk spotted them and just blew out into no man's land i mean like such thick cedars you're never gonna get a shot at an elk in that and I'm like, yeah, like those guys just, they had no idea what they were doing and they just blew all these elk out of there. And then some of the guys at spike camp said the same thing. They hunt this high meadow and it's like their honey hole. I mean, they see elk in there all the time. In fact, I helped pack a bull out at one point that week, uh, from there. And I watched five bulls walk across this meadow as we were going to, to help pack out. Well, they said, Midweek, they had never had any other hunting pressure back there. Nobody else has gone back there that they that they've encountered. And they they were sitting there glassing and they said these two guys walk in and right in this meadow they set up spike camp. Like right where all the elk hang out morning and night. And yep. I mean, these guys had no idea, you know, like to their credit, they'd never been there before. And so they just found a great looking camping spot and set up. But when it when it comes to that stuff. Like it's diff, it's difficult to not be upset with non-resident hunters. It's difficult to not be upset with the hunting pressure and how many people are actually out there because it effectively just blew up that whole spot for the three days that they stayed there. All right, guys. So gift season and the holidays are upon us, which means you need to start thinking about filling the gap underneath the tree and stuffing the stocking full. Luckily, Vortex has a large line of optics and apparel that meet every gift need in your life. A couple great stocking stuffers are the Procar window mount or the Venom Red Dot. I've got the 3MOA version and absolutely love it. If you're looking for that gift that's going to wow the outdoorsman or woman in your life, check out the Razer HD spotting scopes or the Ridgeview carbon fiber tripod. But don't forget their amazing line of apparel either. Some of my favorite pieces are the Shed Hunter Pro jacket and the Sun Slayer hoodie. So for all of your gift needs, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything fall can throw at you. 
Yeah, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. And I think going back, he's saying like your spot blew up. And I think it was um, 2020 to now. I think pre, I think pre this whole pandemic thing, um, people, not as many people hunted. Then a lot of people were cooped up then wanted to get back out. And I think a lot of um, people started coming out even more then. Um, but yeah. my biggest thing is um, when, when we saw huge change, and I know obviously everybody knows this now, but Onyx maps, man. Ever oh, since yeah. Onyx came out, um, like where we archery hunted, give us, I mean, we started hunting there at this one spot we found because it, it's obviously all walking. We walk in, we always, we always uh, spike him every archery hunt like we're always back at least four to six miles and then we hunt from there that's how we do it and this area we we've been hunting probably eight years now man eight years ago i mean you could go in there you could hear bugles all the time but the thing about this like, like you said like when you get the hunting pressure that's the thing during rifle it's not as bad to have hunting pressure i kind of like hunting pressure during rifle because you get the elk pushed around yep but my biggest thing is like during archery and is the hunting pressure shuts the elk completely out. Like it'll shut them completely off. I mean, you'll yeah. get a couple bugles, but once they hear that non bugle that they don't really know, or they get too many, like a lot of these guys, not only are they first time hunters and they're camping in like spots, like you said, in the middle meadow, or, you know, here, you know, where they shouldn't be camping. Cause they don't really realize what they're doing. But a lot of these guys are out here doing archery, just bugling, non-stop right <laughs> and that's where it frustrates us as like we're like come on dude like you don't need to do that and it shuts everything off which then in turns like going back to like this over-the-counter hunt is it makes it harder like this year i got within uh 10 yards of a bull we could literally hear him breathing he was bugling but it was so thick you couldn't get a shot and it, it but the thing was is like I, the experience of that was awesome, but me and my buddy looked at each other and we knew our next encounter like that wasn't going to be for another couple day or two, maybe three or maybe four, because in an over the counter area, they just don't come as soon as like when we hunt um, in the area we draw, which is like a one or two point area, which is a one or two point area, which is people don't think that's a lot, but that makes a huge difference. It really does. Huge yeah. difference. And, and people don't think that because they're, oh, it's only one or two points. I'm like, dude, but we like burning our points there. Like going back to what you said, like you're out in the field, like we're out in the field and burning our points there is better than saving because the experience you get and, and the hunting quality, you get like the amount of elk and like the bugles. Like if you get off a bugle there, if you blow an opportunity there, you can go around the next corner and probably get on another group of elk because they're not pushed or pressured as much. Yeah. You know, I, so I'd be curious to see the numbers on, on the units. Like I'm sure, uh, CPW has some type of numbers out there where it tells you how many hunters actually went out in a given season in an over the counter unit versus a one or a two point unit, because I can only imagine it, people burning one or two points. You know, there's a lot of people who points are gold out there. They really are like, when it, when it comes to getting the right spot, getting a quality area and quality animals, 
any amount of points, the more points that you have to put in to hunt that area, the better the hunt is effectively going to be. And so I'm curious, you know, say in one unit, there's 800, 800 hunters in an over-the-counter unit. Is it like down to 40, 50, 80 uh, for a one or a two-point unit? And then how how much farther does it drop when you bump up to these four-point units? Um, so I'd, I'd like to know the information on that because uh, I think a lot of people are, are kind of like me in my boat where I'm like, dude, I'm just going to hunt every year. But you can also be hunting over the counter units and building your points and then every two years exactly. burn two points and so it's like yeah you get to still hunt every year but every two years you have a much better hunt that's exactly what we do honestly that's we that's what we've done forever so we never really built up points um i have a couple buddies who have maybe eight or nine points um but really that at right now doesn't mean much because that's the worst point creep area right there. So trying to draw a tag is very slim to none. Um, Cause you got a lot of people just putting in for points and then now burning them, um, you know, because they just, their, their points are up or they just want to try and get these tags and they're just entering the draw now. And it's just making it chaos to be honest. Yeah. Um, See, I've, I've been building points for several species out there. Uh, it seems like every two years I burn my mule deer points and I just pair that with my uh, rifle elk hunt. And there's not... Yeah, which is smart. That's what I, I mean. That's what we do with our deer is we probably burn our points every two to four years is where our unit is um, now. Used to be every other year, but now it's like a two to four uh, point area, which comes down to a lot of... Um, well, the area we hunt deer, it got exposed on a lot of YouTube stuff. Oh, um, man. So once YouTube, uh, you have guys like The Hush and Born and Raised and um, who else? Go Hunt guy. I uh, can't remember his name. I met him up there one time in, in town, but he uh, he was there and they, uh, <laughs> they push these areas and people figure out where they're at and it just blows areas up, man. And, and that would be so frustrating. I would love, I would love yeah. to go out and hunt with like Giannis Patelis or Steve Ranella or the the hushing oh, yeah. guys, but at the same time, I couldn't do it in the unit that we elk hunt because I know that the hunting pressure would triple the next year. You know, as soon as oh, people 100%. found out about it, and that's where even yep. me, like having a podcast, man, I would love to have my truck wrapped in like podcasts in in the podcast stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I also want to drive a Prius out there so nobody has any idea who I am. And not that mm-hmm. I have like a crazy huge following or anything, but it's like. But you have blown up like you have like people know you now. People are starting to know you. It's just same thing with with like I've watched you. I watch Hush and I watch all these guys and it just takes and it's just people follow and you have people following you. You don't even know. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's where like Hush was, you know, like back they were when I first saw them, I'm like, Oh, they're, you know, just small and which was nice. And then all of a sudden it just starts blowing up. And like you said, you have your truck wrapped, you know, people are like, Oh man, we saw this guy. And then they're like, Oh, we saw this guy. And then we, you know, like we have to hunt this area. We got to do this. You know what I mean? So 
Yeah. It's bad. It's bad for business for me to not be handing out business cards or like passing out stickers yeah. when I'm up on the mountain and I meet people. Cause I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. Like I'll sit and I'll have a conversation with anybody, you know, I'll try to give them as much information as could benefit them, but doesn't ruin the hunt for me and the guys that I hunt with. But it's great for hunting to not let anybody know that I'm that I have a podcast because then they go and listen to the podcast and they hear some of these details like, Oh man, we went all the way back on this road. And then we went here and we dropped in and I'm not going to give any mountain range names or road names, Yeah, but yeah, it wouldn't take long if you met me out on the trail to go, okay, this is where he was you know where or to at. just follow me yeah. the next time I'm out there. And exactly that's what, uh, I didn't hunt with my normal hunting party last year. We went to a new unit had zero success. We saw a couple. We saw some really nice bulls, actually, 300-plus-inch bulls uh, two days before season started and then never saw them again. But uh, the guys that hunt at my main hunting camp uh, out in Colorado, they actually had guys that heard them, like they heard some shots from them, and then the next day they followed them in, like right behind them on the side-by-side trail. And all the guys that I hunt with, they're like, dude, we, we never want to be dicks to people out here. But at the same time, you're not going to follow me into my hunting hole or my honey hole. Yeah. And so they parked the side by side on the trail and just got out and started walking. And these guys are like, are you really going to just park right here? And, you know, now we can't get around you. And they're like, well, we're not going to just walk you in to where all the elk are and then ruin the hunt for us. Like we're out here to hunt too. If, if you want to put in the work, we're not just going to give up 15 years of work to you guys because you're too lazy to do it yourself. And that it's just a really fine line, you know, like I want people to be out there. I want them to have success. And if I can direct them to where maybe I saw a bull that I'm not going to go after and they can go and pursue it. Great. I hope they get one. I hope they have an amazing experience and want to continue to do this sport that we all love. But when people ask, you know, I have to be like, man, we hunt Northwest Colorado. That's about as specific as I'm going to get because I just don't want you to come in. Not to mention, it's not just about me. You know, if I was the only one hunting there, I'd be more prone to be like, hey, dude, you should come out and hunt. But the fact that I was an invite to this group, I have to respect those guys and and kind of protect their spot that they've worked so hard to figure out. No, yeah, I've, I've done that before where you've tried to help people out. I uh, Maybe like 10 years ago, I had a spot I killed a bull in with my bow and I had a buddy who contacted me and was like, hey, man, can I come come in that area? I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, but don't bring anybody. I was like, here was, you know, where I was, whatever. And he's like, no, I won't, man. I promise. I promise. And I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, the next year he brings like six to eight guys. And I was like, I'm done telling anybody where I go ever again. Yeah. And that's when I was done. I mean, I, he ruined it for everybody and he'll, he, I mean, I'm still good buddies with them. I grew up with him and he'll ask where we're at and I'll tell him exact opposite way of where I'm going because I just don't trust him. And it sucks because it's like, dude, you could, I, I don't mind you, but you and your eight buddies or your uncles, your dad and everybody else, I, I can't, you can't do that. Especially, like I said, if it was a rifle, 
season be different. But during archery, when you can't be having all that scent out there and everything, it's just harder to give your spot any any time give your spot up. But like give a spot like that, it, it, it was just frustrating. And we've gone back there since and kind of we call it we kind of sneak in there because they've never killed any elk there, actually, which is kind of funny. And we'll go back in there and kill an elk or two um, every so often. And uh, it's it's kind of a little challenge for us because, you know, they they pressure it pretty high. But, um, yeah, you can't once you give up to somebody and they give it to the next person, they give it to it's just frustrating man, because it, you, you really can't give on any of your spots. And like you said, if it was only you, you would. Um, but obviously I'm, when I'm hunting, I have, you know, my buddy. And then obviously I have a couple other buddies that do hunt with us off and on. So I'm trying to save, you know, obviously the spot for them too, and not have it yeah. blow up. Yeah. You're not just giving away elk to other people at your own or your friend's expense. Well, like you and- said, you put in this year of work, these years of work, like we've this area that we hunt over the counter, man, we've been hunting this area for almost 10 years now. And it's like, we found these nook and crannies and all these little like ravines where they hold elk a lot, man. They got the water and they, you know, you got your shade and we know where, you know, there there's usually uh, um, where there's usually a wallow every year, you know, and all this stuff. So it's like, and a lot of people that come there first don't know all that stuff. So it's like, it, it frustrates you when, you know, they want to follow you in or do whatever. And you're like, dude, I'm, you know, this is where I'm going and you send them in a kind of a different, I mean, you want them obviously hunting and like you said, loving the sport that we all do, but you just don't want them coming close to where you're at, obviously, or well, try it, not to get them close it, to where you're at. In a way, you're almost doing them a favor by pointing <clears throat> them in the wrong direction because it means that they're going to have to figure it out. And if they can get the experience and figure out how to do it in like uh, an area that hasn't been touched or like that they haven't hunted, they're going to be a better hunter for it versus just walking them into your honey hole, letting them shoot a bull. They're not going to understand what all goes into hunting. And then when you're not there, you know, they're not going to be able to replicate it. And I feel like it it's pretty rewarding when you go into these pressured areas or you have guys, because when you're driving out on the two track with a big bull, it doesn't take a lot to go. Okay. If I just go the direction they came from, that's obviously somewhere closer to where they hunted and we have guys that do that and they they'll follow us or you know we'll catch them in there midweek and we know that they went in there because they saw the success that we had but there's so much more that goes into it than just the area and so when when they're in there hunting every single day and not coming out with anything and then you go in there one day and you shoot a big bull it, it almost seems more rewarding or like more of an accomplishment because you're like, obviously not everybody can do it and we just made it happen. Uh, but it yeah. can really ruin it. You know, if you have guys that are just in there and they don't understand how to hunt these animals and how to play the wind, like I've seen elk blow out of an area with a wind shift from 700 yards away. Like we were, we were easy. There's no way they picked us off like visually because we were staying in cover. We were staying on the backside of the ridge and we would just pop up every now and then. And then if the wind just shifts at any point and carries our scent to them, they blow out. And it's like, you can really, you can ruin a mile area pretty quickly if you don't know what you're doing. If the wind's swirling and now your scent has gone north, south, east, and west, and you don't even realize it, but now there's no elk in that area. And that doesn't only affect you, that affects everybody else who's hunting there. 
Yeah, I had it happen this year. I mean, we're on this bull. We had this bull, big bull. He had probably 20, 30 cows with him, and we were on him, I want to say, three or four times, different times. And he was smart, though. I mean, he didn't get big for no reason. And uh, we, the closest I had him was maybe I probably could have shot him with my rifle. Um, he was probably saw him at like 300 during these cows. But the wind, it was perfect. I played it the whole time. I had my buddy maybe 100 yards behind me, uh, cow calling and bugling. and um, But he kept moving his cows from us and moving them and moving them. But, like, that wind, like you said, man, it can blow that whole thing. And it literally hit the back of my neck, and it wasn't 10, 15 seconds later. You, I saw him filtering these elk out like it was nothing. I mean, it yep. was – it can go from – one second, and you're on a high. You're like, all right, we're doing this, and you see him, and you're like, oh man, it's a big bull. You're like, here we go. To it's done, it's over, and it's crazy how how one little thing can just end it so quick. Yeah, it's they're they're amazing animals. I mean, some of my favorite animals to hunt. I will, I'll never miss rifle season again until I probably figure out how to archery hunt, and then. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, rifle season, but just just being out there is a treat. And you know, when you can be out there stalking, and I talk about this quite a bit on on both podcasts, but there's something about traveling to hunt. Like when you when you go, and it's not just like oh, I went out this afternoon. Like that's fun, yeah. and I'll still do that. But when you make a trip of it, I think it's something in our DNA. Because if you look at civilizations all throughout history men would go out on these big hunting parties and sometimes they'd be gone for you know three months to a half a year when you go way back in time and there's something in each of us that like desires that and whether or not you capitalize on it and you go you actually go for it is one thing but for me that is that's it like i i cherish those moments and if you told me i could have 20 mornings and evenings to hunt but you know i go back home every day or i could go on a nine day hunt in the back country i'm gonna pick the nine day hunt because there's something special about oh, it. of course being i mean like i've said like i said earlier in the podcast, like being successful is great but as i've gotten older and you cherish i think you cherish the mountains and the outdoors and being there with some of your closest friends and um you go through so many highs and lows and all these different emotions and hunting. And I try to explain this to people um, because it's like physically, like I work out a lot. I'm fit. I do. And the thing is, I think physically, yeah, I get tired, but mentally it, it, it wears you down, you know, yeah. it, it'll wear you down if you don't. But like, like you said, being out there, and being back there and hunting, like you said, taking a trip and getting out there and taking my tent, being on the mountain and just being there. Like when I get my backpack and I take it down, I'm four or five miles in and I put my backpack down, I'm like, oh, it's like a relief. It's like, all right, set my camp up. This is where I'm going to be. And it's like, it's awesome feeling, you know, because like you said, like you could go out every day. Like this year I went out with my dad. We had some we were fortunate enough to have some cool deer tags out East and we hunted every day, but we went to my, cause I live kind of close to there. So we went to my house every day and back out and went to my house and, and it's just not the same, right? Yep. Like I, I get exactly what you're saying. It's, 
when you get out there and you're out there and you're there for days on end, it's on another level. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I love the struggle. I really do. Like I look back and some of my most fond moments are when things were just difficult and that could be the pack out. It could be just the terrain that we're having to traverse getting back into an area or like this year, the, the weather was gnarly. There were days where like we would get socked in for two hours and we're like, man, should we just move to low country where this cloud cover isn't as thick where it's not sleeting and blowing 40 miles an hour. But those moments when you just have to like kind of hunker down and just mentally be tough and endure, that's that to me. I'll never forget some of those hunts where we're up there glassing. And a lot of people shy away from it. Those are some of my favorite days to hunt when the weather is just nasty and everyone's like, hey, this is a camp day. We're going to sit around and play cards or drink or whatever. I'm like, dude, I'm going out. I'm going to go out because yep. these animals, when we get all bundled up and we're like, oh, yeah, man, it's good. It's good. Like, uh, I've got good gear. You know, I'm warm. These animals are equipped for this. Like, they're made to live in these elements and they're not going to change their habits. And we had more success on some of those nasty days this year. We killed three bulls in two days in some of the worst conditions that we had all season. And that's where I'm like, dude. I'll never shy away from it. I absolutely love being out there. And I'm a I'm a cold guy. I love the cold. And so yeah. that's another struggle I have with archery season, hearing some of the temperatures. I'm like, dude, I hate walking around and sweating and just being like sticky and gross. And uh I like I don't I don't mind getting dirty by any means, but the heat, dude, that will wear you out pretty quickly. The heat and the cold do, but the cold. I grew up in Wisconsin, so I'm used to it. I, I'm all about, you know, the 10 degree days and your hands are freezing and you feel like you can almost barely pull the trigger, but the opportunities on elk in the snow, man, I love hunting the snow. If there's, if I could pick dry ground or snow, I'm, I'm picking snow every time. Oh yeah. It's, it's always fun. There's something to be said to be hunting in the snow and even, even big bucks, man, mule deer, it's fun to do. Like, but the temperatures you had in archery, they get rough. You know, you, you're, you're midday and you're 90, 95 degrees. Jeez. And that's where it's like, it's frustrating. It, 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 I sit there every year. We look at each other and we're like, man, your first hour or two in the morning is, you know, you have that little bit that, you know, you have to try to capitalize and then, you know, play the wind right. And then you got about an hour or two at night. And if you're lucky, you know, and yeah. But it's, yeah, the, the temps are brutal. It definitely is for sure. You're trying to find shade. You're trying to find, you got to find water. That's the one thing that kind of sucks about one of the areas we hunt is getting water, man. Like this year, getting going back and getting water filtering was two and a half hour round trip. Most yeah. people won't do that. You know, like it was a struggle. And when you tell people that they're like, you're crazy. And it's like, well, that's where the elk are though. The elk are where you don't want to be. Yeah. It's facts. It's just what it is. Like I could go kill a decent meal deer, a nice four point meal deer. Probably I have some areas I could probably do it every year and I wouldn't have to do far from my truck. Right. But elk, elk are a different story. Elk are hard to hunt. They're just hard animals to hunt and they're smart and they like being, they get away from people. And so it's just your success when you get away, like you said, like you get away from the trails 
is higher. And that's when you want to get those kind of places to hunt, that's when you know, you know, how passionate you really are about hunting. Cause you have a lot of guys that'll road hunt or two track hunt, whatever it's fine. But you, you get away and you actually hike back in and you, you know, you're, you're finding the, you'll find the elk, you know, yeah. the elk are around. It's, they just want to be where no one is and they want to be in some nasty stuff. It's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. They're just equipped for it. Every, every spot and every temperature that we struggle in, they thrive in. And that's where, that's where the mental and physical challenge for me really kicks in. I'm like, dude, I love that. I love having to play their game and be successful. If they played my game and I was successful, it just wouldn't be as rewarding. So um, it's definitely something I look forward to every year, man. And I, I appreciate you hopping on and sharing insight. Uh, Before I let you go though, uh, a couple things. What do you have coming up? Do you have any other hunts coming up or are yours all kind of wrapping up for the year? Uh, this year's wrapped up. I just actually wrapped up with my father-in-law. He had a, a mule tag or a whitetail. He was trying to shoot whitetail. He's actually today's last day and he's out. But uh, we act, we, the one thing I do have coming up beginning of the year is a goose hunt out in Nebraska. We're going to do some snow geese. It's going to be pretty nice. cool. And then um, obviously January, man, January, you know, as well as I do, you got to put in for elk for Wyoming. So it's, we're on to, it's crazy to think because I, I talk to my hunting buddy about every day we're, we're best friends and everything, but I'm once hunting season over, he just helped a guy hunt um, during four season rifle for a buck. And I, he called me, he goes, season's over. I said, yeah, but we're ready. We're starting for next year, man. Get your yep. thoughts. Ready. We have, you know, like, it's time to put in for Wyoming. It's time to put in for New Mexico. It's time. I mean, it's, it's, it never, I feel like it never ends, which is awesome for me. I love it. And I, I'm sure it is for you, but you know, when it comes to like people that don't do it or, or our wives, sometimes they probably think, you know, it's, it's a little much, but I love it at, at the end of this, you know, season, then we're thinking of next. So my next year looks uh, for next year is going to be good, man. It's uh, I got Wyoming elk. I'll draw. I should draw a Wyoming deer tag. Um, and then I'm hoping to try and draw actually New Mexico. I'm going to put in with uh, the outfitter, with an outfitter. Because um, if you put in in the outfitter pool, you um, you have a better shot at drawing. If you put in with like a uh, an outfitter uh, code or something like that, oh, it puts okay. you in a different draw. Nice. So I figured in my, I want really want to hunt New Mexico. So I'm going to try to do that. I mean, it could take me years to do that, obviously, because there's no point system in New Mexico. And then this year or uh, next year, I should be hunting antelope here. And I obviously deer. And then I think we'll try. Actually, next year, I think I'm going to try and just get a rifle uh, bull tag for the first time in a long time since I'll be hunting archery in Wyoming and putting most of my eggs in that basket. Um, Because we're going to, you know, devote most of our September there. So I think we're just going to do rifle here next year for for, uh, for elk. Nice, man. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully uh, you get some of these these hunts lined up and it all works out for you. Um, before we hop off, where can people find you? Where can they follow along with your hunt? Uh, actually, we have, well, I have a page. It's, it's just, we're kind of obviously smaller, but it's just rutting hard. Um, and it's just me and my buddies posting um, 
pictures of our hunts and some of our, you know, obviously what we do. And then I have um, Backcountry Bow Hunter 87 is me. And then I just post, obviously, that's a lot of my hunting stuff, but it's also just me as, as a person too. So Nice, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to, to hop on the podcast and all the best of luck. Uh, I think this is an awesome eye-opening podcast for a lot of people who, who hunt in-state and out-of-state, and hopefully uh, they can take away some good points from this and find success. Yeah, hopefully get some, you know, into the outdoors, obviously, and then uh, get some more aware of, like, the point system and, and uh, things like that. It sooner right I mean, if you can get younger people into it sooner like when i have kids or your kids or whoever get them into the point system and get things rolling for them sooner because i wish i would have known sooner um when i was growing up this whole system i didn't know anything about it right so yeah. like getting people into that letting them know i mean all these states do it so if you're gonna have your kid hunting and being in this get a minute early and I'm all about, you know, trying to promote that for kids. Cause I feel like nowadays it's not being promoted as much as it should be. Um, people are shying away from the outdoors and hunting. And I feel like, um, you want to keep it obviously going. And so, yeah, I mean, start them out early, get them on the point system, get them going so they can get quality tags throughout their life a few times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's a great takeaway. I mean, for anybody who, thinks one day that they might want to hunt Arizona or New Mexico or Utah or, or any state, yep. start putting in the points. It's not expensive and you might not have the means to make the hunt happen right now, but hopefully by the time you've got enough points to draw, you do. And uh, you're going to be happy that you did this front work so that, so that these opportunities can actually um, turn into something. So thanks again, man. Yeah. Yep. Always. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, I don't think I've ever been this pumped up about chasing after elk with bow. I mean, I'm always excited and always looking forward to it, but I've got to make it happen. Maybe 2023 is the year, and I can't stress it enough. Hopefully you guys have similar goals and similar ideas to get out and chase after things, new animals. And that's what this podcast is all about, is opening your eyes to the opportunities, hopefully giving you the intel and insight that you need to make it happen, whether it's about points or strategy or gear, it doesn't matter. It all comes into play when it comes time to chase after Western big game animals. And so be be putting in for points. Whatever state you feel like you're gonna wanna hunt five years from now, 10 years from now, whenever that is, start preparing for it now. Learn as much as you can. Just study the animals and the tactics that, that guys use to get it done. But the point thing, I'm telling you, there, there's nothing else that you can do in this moment right now that is going to be better for your hunting in the future than starting to put in for points for states that you want to go to. So I would highly suggest it. Get on it. I don't know how many other ways I can say it, but it's a great idea. And hopefully you guys are having successful seasons, whether it's wrapping up or just starting. Uh, all the best of luck to you. Tag me in the pictures. I'd love to see your success pictures. I'd love to see pictures from the field. And until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.